Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 19. Kyogen's Up a Tree. Kyogen Chikan said, It's like a person in a tree hanging from a limb by their teeth and unable to grab a branch with their hands or touch the trunk with their feet. Someone under the tree asks, what is the meaning of bodhidharmas coming from the West? If the person doesn't reply, they fail the questioner. If they do reply, they lose their life. In such a situation, how would you respond? The senior monk, Koto, said, I don't ask about the person up the tree. Before anyone is up the tree, tell me, Master, what is the meaning of bodhidharmas coming from the West? At that, the Master gave a hearty laugh. Regarding this, Seicho Juken commented, It's easy to speak when one is up a tree, hard to speak when one is underneath. This old monk is up a tree. Bring me a question. This is the last day of summer. According to the calendar and the accounting of seasons, tomorrow will be the first day of fall. Now, looking at this koan, of course, fall would be the right season, wouldn't it? Sounds that you can only hear during this season. Colors that we can only see during this season. A very special light when the sun enters the zendo. May it be in the morning, at noon, or towards the evening. All of it is very special. And what makes it even more special is that you are all here with us. We might think we are like leaves that were blown together by some kind of wind, but what kind of cosmic wind would have brought us together in this pile of leaves of all shapes and sizes and colors? Without discrimination, the universe does that. And here we end up in this wonderful place, Daibosatsu Zendo. In the pristine silence that is expressed in every sound we hear. 
undertaking an endeavor that we call session. To gather the heart, to bring it together, the heart-mind. Nature helps us so tremendously in this season. So let's try to get our resistances out of the way over those next days, hours, breaths, so that our heart-mind can come together, not just as the heart-mind of the individual, but the heart-mind of the greater heart. of everything. And session is a wonderful opportunity that we should always remember is not ever to be taken for granted by the fact that we have enough time, by the fact that we have enough health, by the fact that we have enough food, by the fact that we have enough means to bring ourselves here, we have the opportunity to participate in that. It's important to remember that, especially in this kind of society we live in, where for the exchange of monetary sums, things are dispensed. No such thing here. We have to offer nothing. All you have already brought here. So let's take the time together to look at that very, very carefully with an open heart, with an open mind welcoming whatever comes, like the wind that blows through the zendo, like the leaves that end up when we do kinhin, sometimes like the wonderful butterflies that are just fluttering about, some of them flashier than others, some just very plain, but all beautiful. This is a special time. Today, we encounter case number 19 of the collection Shumon Katoshu, Entangling Vines. We heard something about entangling this morning when we read So San Ganchi Senji's On Believing in Mind or Shinjin Mei, On Faith in Mind, however you like to translate it, Entangling Vines. Whoever comes here brings some entanglements. And often when we encounter koans, we add additional entanglements to it. Maybe just enough to choke you to pass out and forget about yourself. I'm going through this collection case by case without choice. Just like Sosan Ganchi Zenzi says, without preference, without like or dislike. 
And so we end up with case number 19, which is a fairly well-known case. Not only a well-known case, but also a very important koan. A very important koan for all of us. Assigned or not, because if you believe it or not, check your teeth. There might be some splinters of wood right in there from that branch. The first paragraph of what I read appears as Mumonkan case number five. The gateless gate has the first paragraph in which Kyogen talks about this scenario that he set up. Before going into that, let me tell you a little bit about Kyogen. Kyogen Chikan. We don't know when Kyogen was born, but we know that he died about 898. He appears in five of the cases in the Shumon Katoshu. So 898 is pretty early in Chinese Zen still. So there are the great masters around, and he studied with some of them. He first studied under Hyakujo Ikai. Hyakujo. And later, under Isan Reu. You could not be more lucky than to run into people like that and become their disciple. However, as it was quite common in the time, and as it is common nowadays, people read a lot. People become scholars, and there's a lot of scholastic Buddhism still around. Have you ever seen how many volumes all of the Tripitaka is if you print it out on paper? It is a lot. And there are some people who spend their lives studying it. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The study of it is very important. However, we cannot hope to find any answers in there. So Kyoge and Chikan, he was one of these people. He knew the sutras. He knew the commentaries. And while he was studying with Isan, one day Isan said to his, uh, his academic Buddhism uh, student, he said, I do not ask what you have understood from the scriptures and commentaries. I would just like a word about the time before your mother gave birth to you and before you could discriminate things. Sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? No? It's a challenge, of course, a challenge for somebody who has accumulated a lot of knowledge. Who here has not a lot of knowledge in their memory, in their self-image, in their life? Anybody? Oh, we all do. And if we weigh it, I have to say I contribute a lot of weight to that. Dead weight. <laughs> but we have to see that we don't get stuck in thinking it's good or it's bad. 
Knowledge is wonderful where it can be used to act judiciously, to act in an informed way. Very important. But when it comes to answering questions like this one that Isan asked, it is completely useless. I do not ask you what you have understood from the scriptures and commentaries. I would just like a word about the time before your mother gave birth to you and before you could discriminate things. Already Isan is so kind. He didn't just leave it by saying before your mother gave birth to you. Since you're a little handicapped because you know too much, let me tell you what I mean. I mean, uh, how, what, what was there before you could discriminate things? So Kyogen answered. They didn't have buzzers at that time, but it would have buzzers. It would have buzzers. All of his answers were rejected because they were all based upon his knowledge. So he retreated. And for some time, he fruitlessly went through his sutras and commentaries. He could not find any reference to his mother or what happened to him before he was born. That's not good. He sat down in front of his books and had an insight which he brought to his teacher, Isan. And while he was offering to throw away his books, he said, a picture of food does not satisfy the hungry. So knowledge is very important. Sometimes it can bring us to these kinds of insights when we are pressed towards a wall where we cannot pass with the knowledge. A picture of food does not satisfy the hungry. Away with the books. They went probably to the ancient Chinese way of recycling, whatever that might have been. Uh, could be replacing the kanji kits or the, the shit-wiping stick, maybe the first type of toilet paper. But not only that, he vowed to be a wandering monk for the rest of his life. No more studying. And he wandered around China, from here to there, from mountain to mountain, from teacher to teacher, from assembly to assembly. And one day he came across an abandoned grave. And it happened to be the grave of the national teacher, Nanyo Echu. Nanyo Echu. His lineage had forgotten about the grave. It was dilapidated. A lot of things were growing 
So he decided to take care and devote himself to taking care of the national teacher's grave. Weeding, cleaning off debris, raking leaves, and all of that for quite some time while doing zazen and being without knowledge. And as he was cleaning, the buildings, they were also falling apart, so there were little pieces of tile that fell off the roof because nobody ever took care of it. And while he was cleaning and sweeping or raking, the broom or the rake threw one of the little pieces of tile against a bamboo stalk. And hearing that sound, Kyogen awakened. Just by the piece of tile striking the bamboo reed, resonance. And he wrote the following poem. A single All knowledge forgotten. No need for further study and practice. Daily activities proclaim the ancient way. No more falling into passive stillness. Wherever I go, I leave no trace. In the world, I forget proper conduct. Everywhere, masters of the way speak of this as the highest function. After finishing his work and leaving national teacher Eichu's grave better than he found it, he went back to his teacher Isan and became one of his successors. So you see probably clearly this dichotomy between practice and knowledge. But at the same time, would Kyogen have ended up sweeping just at the right moment, in the right place to awaken without having gone through all of it? Who are we to say? But we can tell ourselves and look at our own lives how we got here and make a koan out of it and an exercise and a practice to own it all.
And session will give you plenty of opportunity to deny ownership or to gladly claim it. <laughs> the important thing is just to look at all of it and let things happen as they come. You don't have to be afraid that there will be no food. You will not be woken up too late. Sometimes you get woken up early, right? <laughs> but for awakening, there is only one thing, the right time. For Kyogen, it was the right time. He was not looking for it. He was not waiting for it. He was not searching. He was completely present and devoted to doing what he was doing. Seshin allows us to do all these things that we call formal Zen practice. But again, it's not, there's nothing formal about emptying the compost in the kitchen, washing dishes, sweeping here, cleaning there. Lying down in the break. None of it is not part of it. All of it are opportunities. They just wait for the right openness that we bring to it. And everything is set up to allow for that openness to occur without feeling threatened. Fear is one of the greatest hindrances. Even when you look at this koan, it would be no problem to fall down from the tree if we were not fearful that the person either get injured or killed. Fear. No fear, no doubt, no hesitation. And if something comes out that in retrospective here in this context is seen as a mistake, be it so. Mistakes have to be made. And this koan here you see the direction I'm going in, I suppose. And if not, I will try to make it clearer and expressed in various ways as we go through the time that we have together today. Before talking about that poor person hanging from the branch, let's see, this koan continues though further than the gateless gate goes. The gateless gate stops right here. The senior monk, Koto, said something next. Now, Koto, it's really funny because I looked up the characters for his name and it means tiger head. 
the head of a tiger. That's quite a monk's name. And this senior monk said, I do not ask you about the person in the tree. Before anyone is up the tree, tell me, Master, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? That sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? What did Isan ask his student? Hmm? What did he ask? Honrai no menmoku, the face before your parents were born. What is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? And hearing that again, Kyogen gave a great laugh. Tiger head. And when I came to Tiger head, I could not help myself but remember the story that also fits into this context and gives you a different angle of looking at the person up in the tree. It's a very, very old story about a person walking through the woods in India. It's an Indian story from subcontinental India. There's something following me. What is that? A tiger. The person is followed by a tiger. Hmm. Let me go a little faster. Tigers are very fast. The person goes faster, the tiger follows. The person starts running, the tiger starts running. The person finds themselves at the edge of a cliff. And fortunately, there is a vine. So he starts climbing down that vine, just far enough that the tiger up there, yeah, who's reaching for him, cannot grasp him. Hanging on that vine, the person becomes aware of their situation. Oh, maybe I should just continue climbing down. And as he looks down to the bottom of the cliff, what does he see? Another tiger. Both tigers present as hungry, ready to eat whatever comes their way. But that's not the end of the story. While he's hanging there and the tigers are on the top and on the bottom, fortunately the vine, it seems pretty sturdy. But he sees some movement on the top there. There's some scurrying going on. And what is that? He sees two mice, a black one and a white one. The black one appears, goes to the vine and goes, <coughs> takes a couple of bites out, runs away. The white one comes, 
eats from the other side. And so it goes on. He can feel it. He's holding on to the vine, how it is getting weaker. Should I go up? Should I go down? Which tiger should eat me? Or should I just wait until the mice have eaten through the vine? Oh, what's that? A strawberry. Mmm. And he eats the strawberry. This is a very old story. And it is interpreted in many, many different ways. But I hope you can see how it relates to Kyogen and the man in the tree, the woman in the tree. I specifically rewrote the translation to say they and not he or she, so that we would be really inclusive. Because that condition that we see in both the story about the strawberry and the person in the tree, they are very closely related. Have you ever found yourselves in your lives that you could not go up or down? And that the place you were was probably the most unsafe of all of them. If I were a child of the age of Aquarius, I would... <laughs> I would interpret the strawberry as, oh, enjoy the moment. But since I am sitting here in the place of somebody who speaks from a Buddhist background, what else could the strawberry be than the Dharma? The Dharma. It wasn't a picture of a strawberry. It was the Dharma. The ability to learn to look at the present moment. The tiger on the top of the cliff. The tiger on the bottom of the cliff. And the two mice gnawing on the vine. Why do you think they have different colors? Just to make it more interesting? Night and day, time, even in the Chinese representation, coin, light and darkness, time eats on the vine. Our life hangs on a very thin vine. Now, if we entangle ourselves really badly, we can't even reach the strawberry. We can just hear about it, smell it, but we can't reach. This human condition, the great matter of life and death, 
is what is common between those two stories. But let's hear more in a minute. There is a Zen teacher in the Obaku tradition who is also an East Asian scholar, Glenn Taylor Webb. And he likes to tell this koan in his own story. And it's also a version that I find very interesting and I would like to share it with you. And since he recounts it from his recollection, I will recount it from my recollection. One day in a village, a child was born without arms and legs. The parents, though, loved it dearly since it was their only child. They had never conceived before, nor did they have any children after. So very carefully they took care of the child, the baby, and fed it, cleaned it, and taught it to speak, to think. And they would keep it, bring it around, show nature, and it became that this child turned out to be a very wise person by the virtue of depending on others. The child developed deep gratitude very early in its life, realizing, oh, without my mother, I would not be carried through this wonderful landscape and be able to see all of this. I can move my eyes, I can move my tongue, I can move my head, but I could not move through all of this without their help. And many hours were spent by itself. And whenever it was sleeping, there were many, many dreams. Many dreams of how it would be if I had arms dreaming of running through the field of flowers, of picking up this or that, or just of hugging, embracing someone. The parents passed away, but by that time, that human being without legs and arms was highly respected. People came to ask for advice for their lives. And having had all those dreams and having to deal with no ways of ever being able to run, to pick up 
or to do all of the things that he dreamed about. Deep insight and wisdom was there and shared with everybody freely. One night, a bunch of drunk people from the village went over. Oh, where's the guy? Where's the gal? Where's that person without arms and legs? Let's have some fun with them. And they went and picked that human being up and dragged him around. Let's see how he bounces down the side of that mountain. And they were laughing as he was screeching and crying out in discomfort and pain. The top of their torture was to say, okay, let's put him up. Let's see how long he can hold on to that branch of the tree with his teeth. And while he was holding on or she was holding on up there, the drunk guys underneath said, ah, you're a wise person. You have a responsibility to tell us what we need to know so we are better people than we are. <laughs> you have to say something. And hanging on the branch, holding on with the teeth for his life. The human being had more dreams. His parents reappeared before him. And all of that. And what were they saying? You have to speak. You have to say something to them. You have to help them. Like we helped you. You might not have had arms or legs. But what you moved is so much more powerful. We are your parents and that's why we love you. The human being became clear what to say. made sure that there was enough to say on that short trip down to the ground. And even the drunk people became awakened. Now, of course, you would like to know what he said, right? But this is the central point. You have to find out yourself. Without your arms, without your legs, 
hanging in that tree. But don't forget there are strawberries too, to be eaten. We can be terrible as human beings, as you can see, but we can be wonderful. Both is covered in that little story how Glenn Taylor Webb tells it. Even without arms and legs, a life can be full and full of wisdom. and responsibility. So if you are reminded at times during session that you're hanging off a branch with your teeth and you feel like a victim, Maybe you can visit with your parents and the face that you had before they gave birth to you. Human existence is a conundrum. It's full of beauty. It's full of terrible things at the same time. But a practice like this gives us the opportunity to safely venture in all these directions. Because you will find that those drunk people, they are no other than we. We do the same thing all the time, every day. Discrimination per se, just by discriminating, Listen to the word, discriminating thinking. It is necessary where it is utilitarian. But when it comes to human beings, when it comes to doing and treating other people, should we think with discrimination? What is going through the head of that person up in that tree? We don't touch on that in the description of the koan. We just hear the questioner, what is the meaning of bodhidharmas coming to the West? Tell me everything about Buddhism that I need to know to awaken. And make it quick. So say something really profound on your way down. <laughs> what is that human condition? What are those limitations? Can you speak when you hold on to that branch? Do you have to speak? Do we ever have challenges in our lives? What will you do? 
And if it is not us who is hanging on that vine with the tiger on the top and the bottom and the little rodents working diligently on the vine, then maybe it is a loved one. We are getting older. We might have to take care of our parents. Someday somebody might have to take care of us. What is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? Not a question of Buddhist context. Not a question of a studied answer. but a question of being. Sometimes we are foolish. I have a treasure trove of stories I can share with you of my own foolishness. So let me tell you about one of those. At, when I trained as a monk at Mount Baldy Zen Center, one summer, the Jikijitsu, who basically sets the pace for the meal, had the idea that meals should be basically non-existence. As soon as uh, the first serving was over, tick, the second serving started. You couldn't even finish your food, and everybody uh, experienced uh, miraculous weight loss. And so over time, when that goes for a little too long, you become really hungry. And even though horrible stories are told from Mount Baldy Zen Center that the Tenzo would lock you in the walk-in freezer if you were caught in the kitchen at night trying to sneak something, well, that's what I did. There was a hunk of cheese, and I had to have a piece of cheese. I was like, There was nothing that would hold me from not doing it. Finally, I got my courage together. I waited for the time of night where I would know that the Tenzo would be fast asleep, where nobody would see me go through camp. And I, I, I knew every door, knob, and which one would be squeaking and so on. And then I made it into the walk-in. I also had brought a little knife and I knew which knife to use because I knew the tensor would know if there would be some marks on that hunk of cheese of a different knife. I was prepared. <laughs> I was prepared. And I succeeded. 
perfect cut. I put the cheese in my mouth. I felt like that poor guy on that vine eating the strawberry. And as I came to the end of the cheese, what is that rock doing in that cheese? It was very, very soft, yellow, industrial type cheddar. <laughs> and while I was savoring it, the suction of that consistency was so great that it pulled out a filling from one of my teeth. I thought it was a piece of, what is the Tenzo doing with that cheese outside? It's a stone. No, it's not a stone. Oh, my God. It's a filling. I dug the cheese out of the place where the filling used to be. And already I could feel, this is not good. <laughs> it was not only that there was no filling, but the meals were fast to begin with. So the only thing you could do is you take soup, hot soup, and inhale it. But with a tooth that has no filling, as soon as that hot soup touches that, you have no desire to eat anything. I got away with getting the cheese. Nobody ever knew. But I ended up having to go to the dentist. As a foreigner at that time, no dental insurance. It was hard enough to convince the head monk to, hey, I can't eat. See how thin I am, yeah? <laughs> and it's, it's not the case anymore. <laughs> I used to be very, very thin after being at Mount Bali. Shuko-san remembers, yeah. The wind would have blown me over. And so fortunately, the Zen Center knew a dentist down in one of the foothill uh, foothill, uh, what do you call those things? Where, where people live. Towns, yeah. <laughs> Towns in a foothill town called Upland. And, and the, I, I remember the person's name. Um, but I won't say it because this is recorded. And he was very nice. And I had no money. And he was kind enough to say, well, I do your work for free, but uh, if you want Novocaine, you, you have to pay for it. I had no money. And I was young and I was foolish, and I said, monks know no pain. <laughs> well, <laughs> he proved me wrong. Have you ever had dental work uh, where somebody had to drill around there without having any kind of numbing? Well, the pain becomes numbing, I can tell you that. But that situation of, it's related to teeth. Hmm? 
the intensity of just being with it. Because once you say, monks, no, no pain, you have no, there's no other way out. Just learning, that is also practice. That is the practice that life brings you at times. Not that I ask you to go to the dentist and refuse dental medication, you know? But if things like that happen, you know the pain on the cushion seems really very minor. But the intensity that you have to bring to the moment, at that moment, not to follow the patterns of aversion, not to follow the patterns of wanting to run away and to avoid. This kind of intense presence is one of the things that we can cultivate in session practice. May it be enchanting, just being with it. May it be in Zazen by just being with the breath. That is the kind of intensity that goes all out. And when all goes out, everything comes in. And believe it or not, you are saying something by that. Not in words. Not in words. But you speak by the way you are. Not that you're not speaking the way you are right now. But let me ask you, what is that intensity that you find right now? Five and a half out of ten? Two? No. Ten. Nothing else but fully, fully, fully. The last portion of the koan brings in another person. And I will tell you a little bit about that person after I have a little more tea. last person that we meet here, number three, so far we had Kyogen, we had Koto, Tiger Head, which really nothing is known about him. And the last one is Seicho Juken. Seicho Juken lived from 980 until 1052. He appears in the Shuman Katoshu in two cases. He was 
trained in the Ummon lineage, successors to Ummon Bunnen Zenji. And his teacher was called Chimon Koso. And you know, the Ummon lineage was not really flourishing at the time. However, Seicho Juken somewhat revived the school by being able to have more than 70 Dharma heirs. He was an extremely talented poet. His writings are outstanding in the literature of Chinese Zen. He wrote a, a book, a collection that's called Seicho Hyakusoku Juko Shu. Seicho's 100 Odes to Ancient Cases, where he put together some koans and wrote verses to them. We all know it because it became the basis for the Blue Cliff Record, the Hekigan Roku, where Engo Kokugon further added commentaries and verses. So this is Seicho Juken. Seicho Juken says about Kyogen's person up a tree, it's easy to speak when one is up a tree, hard to speak when one is underneath. This old monk is up a tree. Bring me a question. Our dualistic mind, as we read this morning, all together, does not attain here. Speak, not speak, up, down. But if you put the stories together and you mix everything together that I tried to tell today, including the dental work without Novocaine. We get to a quality of being and of attention. That is being up a tree. That is hanging on the vine and eating the strawberry. That is what we can do together in this golden wind session. One great heart, one great effort. No arms, no legs required. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.